Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series entitled Going Mobile. This was the last portion of the series that Brandon was going to preach himself. Next week, it is up to the church to truly go mobile with our faith and actually do what the church has been called to do. Brandon taught this week about going the extra mile. So the question is, will we go the extra mile when it's all on the line? Well, good morning. How's everybody? Everybody awake? Feels like everybody's kind of sleepy this morning. We need to get up and do some jumping jacks or run around the room. Kind of crazy. Um, we're glad you're here. We're going to continue this morning our Going Mobile series. Um, and as if you've been here before, you've heard us talk about it. But the way we got to this is we were thinking about um, cell phones and how everybody um, is, is on their cell phone today. Everything's going mobile. iPhone's trying to outrun Droid and Droid's trying to outrun iPhone. And it's 3G, 4G, all these things. I don't even know what half of that means. But they're all trying to outrun each other, right? And so um, we were thinking about the whole world's going mobile. So what's wrong with the church? Why is the church not going mobile? And so that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at what is it going to take? How is the church actually going to go mobile? And, and I know as we've started the church and, and in different areas, not just in church, but I've, as I've started a business and different things in my life, there have been times where the vision is clearer than others. Um, and and I, I can say this, when we started this Going Mobile series, I don't think the vision of this church and what we were to do had ever been more clear. I believe this is what God has called us to do is to go mobile with the gospel and begin to truly make disciples of all nations going out and telling people about the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ that we have found in him, right? That's what we are here to do. That's our purpose on earth. And that's what we're looking at this week. We have, again, a great opportunity for you to do that next week, August the 29th at 8.30. Um, next Sunday, we're meeting here at 8.30 in the morning. And we're, by, by 8.45, we're going to have people starting to go in groups. And they're going all over this community. And we're going out and we're going to show the love of Christ through acts of service. Remember, I told you that I would be preaching three of the four messages out of this series. And you're preaching the fourth. So have your notes ready. Get your bullhorn. No, we're not doing that. We're not going out with bullhorns and that kind of thing. But you're going to go out and we're going to give you opportunities to go and do something that's of interest to you, that you can go, you can do landscaping, you can go help clean rooms for people who, um, they can't clean their own rooms at the summit, which is a kind of like a assisted living, low income housing kind of thing where there's a lot of people there who can't clean their own rooms. We're going to send people there. We're actually putting a roof on a house that day. Um, we're actually, it looks like two roofs now. So it's going to be an incredible day. We're coming back at six o'clock. We're going to feed you some hot dogs, man. It's going to, I mean, it's not filet mignon, but hot dogs. And, and it'll be good, and, um, and we'll have a good time. And we want to just be able to share that, that afternoon what all God did um, during the day. So I hope you'll be a part of that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. So I hope you'll, you'll come and be a part of that. Today, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Read 10 quick verses to you. And um, got some questions we're going to look at today out of this verse and out of two other sections of the Bible. And I um, believe it's going to be good. I believe that the Lord will speak to our hearts through his word. But let's read Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 48. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two, two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, 
Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, your grace, your mercy. God, thank you that you didn't hold back for us, but you, you went the extra mile, God. Then when you were struck, you actually did turn the other cheek. When you were bitten and spit upon, you didn't take offense, but you, you offered grace and mercy. God, teach us to do that today. Teach us to carry that message and that heart forward out of this place as we go mobile. God, with the gospel. Lord, I just sense your presence right here. I know it's early, but God, I sense your presence here right now. And I pray, Father, that you would have your way here in this place. Fill us with the power of your spirit, that that there would be an anointing on your word, that, God, it would sink deep into our hearts and begin to change our lives and produce incredible fruit within us, God. We love you and we thank you and we praise you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So here's a story for you. When I was in high school, um, I played football. Was not a very good football, but I played football. Um, And how many of you remember if you played football or maybe you've heard of this? How many of you have heard of the scout team in football? Anybody know what that is? Basically, that is where you become like the tackling dummy for the good players. And so my freshman year, the year was 1990. Um, That'll date me a little bit, let you know a little bit about how old I am. Um, 1990, my freshman year of high school, and I was always on the scout team. Tuesday and Wednesday were like taking a trip to hell um, every week for me because I got beaten up so bad. I mean, there were plays where I always seemed to be the, the, the running back you know, and, and so they'd put me back there and throw me the ball and I would just get killed, right? And so I'm back there and they would do stuff to me like this where they would throw me the ball and I'd take off running, we'd run a play, they'd be upset with how the defense responded on that play. So instead of going to the huddle and saying, okay, this is what we're running this time, they just yell out, same play, same play, do it again. And I'm like, thank you so much. Now they know exactly what we're going to do. And so the next play I would get especially killed. But there was one day I was um, on the scout team, actually on the defensive side of the ball, playing linebacker. And um, my brother, didn't know he was going to be my brother-in-law at the time, but my brother-in-law was playing wide receiver. And there's some plays you run, like a sweep, when you run around the end, and there's this thing called a crackback block. Anybody know what that is? Where the wide receiver's out there, and I'm, I'm lined up right here, and the ball goes this way, so I'm running like this, looking at the guy with the ball. I'm like, I'm going to tackle him, I'm going to hit him, I got him. And then all of a sudden, have you ever heard the term being decleated? That is basically when you get hit so hard that like your shoes fly off. Well, that's about what happened to me. My shoes stayed on, but I think my head detached from my body for just a moment. And I never even saw it coming. So I'm running this way and all of a sudden it's just bam. My head goes that way. My feet go this way. And I stood up and our school was right up above our practice field. And I got up and this is no lie. For about five seconds, the bricks on the school were green. I promise you. It was like they were just green. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I got hit that hard that it rattled something loose. And that probably explains a lot to you uh, about me. But it rattled something loose. But I never saw it coming. But I can tell you this after that play for the rest of the afternoon and really for the rest of the time I played football if I was in that position when I'm running going to get get the guy with the ball I'm looking this way I'm like this 
because, I mean, I got killed. I thought I literally thought I was dead. And some of you laugh because you know that feeling of just getting clocked when you just did not expect it. And, and you get this thing where you're just so worried about what's coming next, what's coming next. And I think that in the world today, that's how the church is viewed. A lot of people have been hurt by the church so much. A lot of people are so skeptical of Christianity that, that it's to the point where so many folks, they're, they're watching the church so closely because they don't want to get blindsided by the church again. Would you agree with that? That people have been lied to, people have done things in the name of Jesus that are just outright wrong. And so people have such a bad taste in their mouth of who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, who, who Christians are, what the church is, that, that they don't even want to hear about God, as a matter of fact, when I went this week, we were getting some projects ready for next Sunday, and we were talking with this little old lady, and, and she was um, telling us that she was like, I don't know if I want you come into my house. And this was like a total 180 from where she had been before, but she was like, listen, I, the closer we get, the more nervous I get about it. I, I just don't know that I want you here. We're like, okay, what do we do? She's like, you didn't do anything. She's like, but, but I've had so many churches promise that they're coming. I've had so many churches tell me they're going to do this, going to do that. And she turns around and she says, see that metal right there? That's the metal that was going to go on my roof. You know how long it's been there? It's still here. And nobody's been back. And she's like, I don't even know. Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? We're like, yeah, we are. Yeah, we promise. But you know how many times she's heard that? How many times people have promised, we're going to help, we're going to help, we're going to help. And that is the culture that we're up against. Where there's been so much bad seed sown by churches and Christians in the world, we have got to overcome that. And the question for us today, the first question I want us to look at is how do we reach this culture? How do we overcome that barrier? How do we begin to show people that, that we truly are different? When so much damage has been done by the church, how do we begin to do things in a way that's different so that people see that, wow, there really is something that is divine about these people. God really is real because I see it in them. How do we begin to do that? And I want us to look at that today. And first of all, looking at it in these scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. And when we read this, Jesus is going back and he's using some of the law, some of the things that they were told I'm from Moses and saying, listen, you heard an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But what I want to tell you is if somebody strikes you, don't you hit them back. Turn, your, turn the other cheek to them too and let them hit it. And the thing there is you got to think about it. He's saying if somebody strikes you on um, the, was it the left cheek? What does he say? If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, and you got to think about this. Most people are right-handed. If they're facing you, how are they going to hit you? I mean, they're probably not going to turn their hand this way, right? They're going to smack you with the back of their hand. And what Jesus was saying was, listen, when they insult you, it wasn't about the blow. It wasn't about them knocking your teeth out. It was about just kind of that little slap, like insulting you. He's like, when they insult you, turn the other cheek. Don't get offended. Listen, if, if somebody wants your... your uh, Cloak, give them your tunic. Give it to them. And he says this, he says, if somebody asked you to go one mile, go two. Go two. And see, this would have just blown their mind, man. Because what would happen is Roman soldiers would come through and they would make these people carry a lot of their gear, a lot of their military equipment. They would actually make them carry it a mile. And it was kind of this thing that it was just something they did. And so they hated the Romans. They were under oppression to the Romans. They hated the Romans. And here Jesus is saying, listen, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. You go above and beyond. He's saying, let's raise the standard. Let's do this. And he's not trying to say that the law was wrong. What he's trying to do is point to the heart of what the law was trying to say anyway. In the first place, he's saying, this is the heart of God. Go an extra mile. 
do a little bit extra. But this was shocking to people. Is it shocking to you? It's kind of shocking to me. Really, God? I really got to do that? I was riding down the road the other day, and um, I, I, was, I was leaving my house, and, and we live a little ways out of town, and I was going down this country road, and there was this little yellow um, Mustang in front of like an old model Mustang, you know, probably like back in the 90s, early 90s or something style Mustang. And, um, and so it was really, really old. And, and so, but I'm riding behind it, and I'm just kind of cruising along, you know, not really paying attention. And all of a sudden I hear, and I look up and I see black smoke everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what was that? And I'm like, I'm like, is that my truck? What's, what's smoking? What's happening? And so um, I look up, and this guy in this little yellow Mustang, he just took off. I mean, it was like a drag racer car. And then he pulled over on the side of the road. Um, where I was turning and I was like, I gotta ask this guy what was in his, what's in that car. I mean, what made it go? He had like wide tires on it and stuff, you know, and you could see where the, he had gone so fast, like the rubber had, had come off of the tire and stuck onto the car. I'm like, this is, there's something powerful in this car. And so I was like, man, what is in that thing? Because you just scared the mess out of me. I mean, that just scared me to death. What is in that car? And he starts saying, well, this guy, he comes. And the funniest thing is he gets out of the car and he's driving like a madman on this back road. And he gets out of the car with a Miller High Life in his hand. And he comes walking up to my, to my truck window like he's known me forever. And he just leans up and he's like got the beer in my truck, you know. And he's leaning up there talking to me and then smoking a cigarette in the other hand. And he's just like, well, I got this and that. And I didn't understand a word he said about the car. It was all kind of like technical stuff about engines. And he's like, I got this, I got that. And he's like, dang, man, you know, I just don't, man, you know. And he's just, you know, kind of reminded me of like he should have been on King of the Hill or something like that. <laughs> And so he's like, dang, man, you know, I just, I mean, he's drinking his beer. And I'm like, man, there's like police that come through here sometimes, state patrolmen. He's drinking his beer. And, and he's like, this is just my last hoorah, man, my last hoorah, you know. And, and he's going on and on about this. But it, it was so shocking. But here's the thing that I had to find out. I was like, what makes that thing go? What makes that thing work? How does it have the power that it has? You got to tell me. I didn't know this guy. When he got out with his beer, I was like, what is this guy doing? And, and so he comes up and we're talking and, um, but there was something in me. I just had to say, man, tell me what's driving that thing. What is it that's driving that thing? And see, I believe this, when we begin to do what God's called us to do, and when we begin to go the extra mile to share the gospel and show people the love of Christ, they've got to find out what's in us that's driving us. They've got to find out what the power is behind our actions because it is not typical. Jesus says, listen, if you love those who love you, what are you doing any different than anybody else? You're doing nothing different. Do something different. And I believe that's what the church has got to do. If we are going to go against this counterculture, if we're going to go against this culture that is so against Christianity right now, I'm telling you, you may not believe it, but there are times coming where persecution will come against the church in this country. It is already happening. It is already happening, people. Because you can talk about God, you can talk about spirituality, you can talk about all of these things, but you say Jesus and the whole room goes, (gasps) they freak out. Because it's cool to talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. If we're going to overcome that, we've got to be willing to go that extra mile. We've got to be willing to do a little more. We've got to be willing to do something that people want to know what is driving them. Nobody's ever done that for me before. Nobody's ever acted like that for me. Nobody's ever kept their word like that. Nobody's ever loved me. And are we willing to do that? The question is, 
For us, if this seems too difficult, maybe we need to look at the life of Jesus Christ. And and let's look at Philippians chapter 2. This is one of the most amazing sections of Scripture that I believe are in the Bible. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. Because this is what Jesus did. You know, Jesus not only told us to do it, he showed us. He he, he told, told us and then he showed us what to do. And this is... This is basically a recap of what Jesus did in his life for us. And this is Paul speaking to the Philippians. And he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Listen, Jesus, the first line there says that he was in very nature God, and yet he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He would not elevate himself to the level of God. Think about this. Everybody, I'm gonna give you, this is dangerous, I know, but I'm going to ask you for just a second. I know it's not like, like only 10, 9, quarter to 10. Everybody's tired. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. And, and now this is what I want you to do. I want you to get in your mind your perfect house. Your, the perfect house. I mean, if you could build it any way you wanted to, you could paint the walls any color, you could put the furniture any way you wanted it, and you can see yourself sitting there with a, with a bag of popcorn watching your big screen television, and it's perfect, and, and the, the ocean's outside or the lake or the mountains or whatever it is you like, and, and man, it is, it is perfect. It's glorious. So everybody got it? All right, now you have to open your eyes. That's a, that's a requirement. You do have to open your eyes. Um, Think about this. You've got your dream house. You've built this thing. It's perfect. The walls are the right color. The furniture's perfect. The setting's perfect. And then you move into it, and the next day you come home from work. And I'm sitting in your house, and I've rearranged the furniture. I decided I didn't like the color of your walls, so I just went down to the Sherwin-Williams, and I bought me a little paint, and I put some polka dots and some different things on the walls, and, and I'd gone in your refrigerator, and I made me a sandwich, and I'm sitting there, I'm just dripping the crumbs all over your carpet, you know, kind of like my kids do at my house. And, and, and I'm just basically have taken over your house. And so maybe you say, oh, I'll forgive him this time. So, so you say, kindly, will you leave? But say this happens for like four or five days in a row. What are you going to do? Eventually, you've probably had enough of me rearranging your stuff, Right? Eventually, you have had enough, and you're probably either going to call the police or you're going to run me out and tell me if you ever come back again, I'm going to arrest you. Would you not? I mean, I'm not letting somebody come in my house and do that, right? And and so here's the thought behind that. Why would you do that? What gives you the right to tell me, get out of my house, quit touching my stuff, quit painting my walls? What gives you the right? It's your house, right? You've got the right. And see, here's the thing with God. Here's the thing with God. He gets tired of us trying to do, rearrange his stuff. There's, it's his house. This is his world. It's not ours. And yet he keeps telling us what to do. But every time he turns around, we're rearranging the furniture. Every time he turns around, we got a paintbrush in our hand and we're painting the wall. 
And this is how awesome God is. God says, listen, <laughs> you know what, big God, you just, I know you're lost. I know your loss is a ball and hot. Let me paint this again. This is what Jesus did. Let me paint this and let me cover this again. See, isn't that awesome of God? One thing I thought about with this is, listen, you remember when Jesus went into the temple? And he goes into the temple and he did what? He, he saw the money changer. He saw the selling and the abuse that was going on in the temple. He did what? He went in and he turned over the tables. He flipped them over. He got made a, a whip of cords and he began to run people out of the temple. You know why he did that? Because he could. See, here's the thing. The one person in the history of the world who had the right to stand up and look God the Father in the eye made himself subservient to the Father. And why did he do it? He did it for me and for you. That is how awesome our God is. That's how good he is that he says, I have every right to be God and I'm not giving up my deity. I'm not giving up the right, the, the, the fact that I am God, but I'm willing to lower myself to become a person like you, the very nature of a man so that you can be forgiven. That's a good God. Now listen to this. It goes on in the next verse. It says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. When it says, but made himself nothing, the words there actually mean emptied. It means he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? He didn't empty himself of the fact that he was God. He's still God. He emptied himself of his rights and his privileges and, and all of the, the things that he could have rightly held on to. He let all that go. He let all of it go. He, he, he left heaven with angels singing. He left all of that to come to earth for you and I. He emptied himself of every right and of every privilege. And that, to me, is absolutely amazing. Because see, if Jesus didn't do this, if he didn't empty himself for you, then you and I are still dead in our sin and our trespasses. We're still dead. But Jesus did do this for us. He did come to earth. He did empty himself. And he did take the role of a servant. Listen to this, the next verse, verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. See, here's the other thing about Jesus. You've got to realize, crucifixion, Romans wouldn't even allow their own citizens to be crucified. That's how bad crucifixion was. Romans, they might cut their head off, but they weren't going to crucify them, right? So he, he died a death that the Roman citizens, they, they didn't even have to die. In most cases, they would never be crucified. The other side of that is that Jews saw crucifixion as a curse, Jews saw crucifixion as a curse. They saw it as if you get hung on the tree, as they would say, if you get hung on a cross, then, then for some reason you have done something that God is against and you are cursed. Now picture this. You've got to get this because this is the gospel. Jesus became a curse so that you don't have to be. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus did for us. He became a curse. He had no reason to flaunt his, his achievements. He had no reason to flaunt the fact that he was God. He didn't have to hold on to privileges and all of this stuff. And don't you hate people that just, they have to flaunt everything they got? Well, I'll make this much money. I'm like, who gives a, a, a hootie? I don't know, something. I, I can't say a bad word. But who cares? Who really cares? I had a guy one time on a job site. He kept coming up to me. I never met this guy in my life. He kept coming up to me and telling me how much money he made. I'm down there working. It was about 100 degrees. I'm up on a roof. I'm like, at this point, I'm getting a little bit irritated. 
And finally he walks up to me and he goes, I make $200 a day. And so finally I stood up, I figured I got a hammer in my hand. What's he going to do? And I was like, dude, get out of my face. I really don't care how much money you make. This is before I was a Christian, by the way. And, and, and I said, just leave me alone. And I guess he saw the hammer and, and, and it certainly was not my, my massive stature and, and size, but, but he left me alone. I was playing softball one time. Back when, when I quit playing baseball, um, I became, like many people, the softball king. You know, you're like traveling around playing baseball because you no longer are playing softball because you can no longer play baseball. And so we went up and we played in a tournament in Rome, in Rome, Georgia. And we were a little nervous. We'd, we'd, we'd run through the tournament doing really well, but we were playing the number three ranked team in the state. In this, it was ISA softball in this one division of softball. They were the number three ranked team in the state. And we were like, man, we better play good or we are going to get our eyes beat out. And so we're up there and we're, we're about to play them. And we get up there, we start hitting the ball. They were terrible. I'm just going to tell you, they were horrible. In the third inning, we were beating them. It was either like 30 to 3, 33 to 3, something like that. We were beating them like a drum. I mean, they were horrible. And so they're getting mad. And you know, softball, I don't know what it is about softball players. They like to fight. I don't know what it is. You ever play? They just want to fight. They, they'd rather fight. It's like going to a hockey, hockey match, you know? They, 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 you go to a fight and a hockey match breaks out. And it's the, kind of the same thing with softball. You go to a fight and all of a sudden people are playing softball. And it's kind of the same thing with, this, with these guys. And they were mad. And so they finally decided that they were going to protest our team. And we're like, what are you protesting? Are you protesting the fact that you're getting beaten? And they're like, no, y'all are eight ball players. And that's like the highest level you can be in softball. I'm like... Are you serious? Look at us. Do we look like A ball players to you? I mean, everybody's built kind of like me, a little kind of short to the low to the ground, you know? We're just, we don't even have matching uniforms. But it takes 45 minutes. We have to go out to our cars, get our wallets, come back, prove that we're not A ball players to these people. And they had to pay $175 to do it. That was the crazy thing about the whole deal. They paid $175 to protest a bunch of scrubs. And so we get back playing, and we had a guy who was our catcher, a friend of mine named Hamp. And Hamp, he's an old ball-headed guy. He's a little bit younger than me at the time. And, and the funniest thing about it is Hamp always ran his mouth. Hamp was one of those guys that if he was on your team, you loved him. If he was on the other team, you wanted to hit him with a baseball bat. I mean, that was just how he was. And so he gets up there. Well, the guy who comes back up to bat as we're about to end the game, and, and he's the first hitter after the protest, walks up there, gets up to the plate, and and Hamp's standing there, and he says, man, I can't believe you paid $175 to protest a bunch of scrubs like us. And, Hamp, and the guy turns around and looks at him, and he goes, son, I make $200,000 a year. $175 is nothing to me. And then he turns around and gets back in the batter's box, and Hamp says, you make $200,000 a year. You should have bought yourself a better team. And, and I mean, it was so funny. Because it was true. I mean, we beat him like a drum. But here this guy is, and he's trying to flaunt his money. You know, he's trying to be the big shot. I'm protesting. Rah, 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 rah. And, and, and yet, we hate people that do that, right? Yet Jesus didn't do it. Jesus had, had every right to say, look at me. But he always pointed to the Father. He always pointed to God. He didn't flaunt who he was. He, he made himself nothing so that we could become something. That's who our God is. That's who we worship when we come in and we're singing. We're not just singing. We are singing to a God who made himself, emptied himself of every right and privilege he had so that we, we could be made right with God. That's a good God. That's an awesome God. So this is the last question I want to ask you today. 
if we know what Jesus told us to do, we saw what Jesus did, then how far will you go? How far will you go? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go the extra mile? I mean, Jesus did. He went way, way beyond. And he set the standard way high. Are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to take that next step and lay it all on the line? It's kind of funny, but um, last week, you know, two weeks ago, and, and I have to go back, and I don't usually go back and listen to my messages, but I play them through my head about a hundred times. Two weeks ago, I don't know you were here, if you were here, you may remember me saying something like this. The fourth non-negotiable that we talked about that day for this church was that we would never play it safe. Right, we'll never play it safe. And so I'm like, we're going to continue to sow into the king. We're going to continue to go. And then last week, and, and this is in praise of God. This is not to say, look at us, look at us. I just talked about flying. Last week, we had 100 more people than we've ever had in church. Total coming through the doors that Sunday was 362 people. Absolutely amazing. And I'll tell you this, we never could have done that if it had not been for some of you saying, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the 9 o'clock service. So we are thankful for that and for you being willing to come and worship at 9 o'clock. But... But I found myself enjoying that for about two hours because all of a sudden this feeling of panic hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I started flipping out. I'm like, how are we, if we have 300 people show up on the 29th, how are we going to get 300 people? We thought it was going to be like 160. If 300 people show up, what are we going to do? And then it was finally like I heard God say, shut up. Shut up. What are you worried about? And I was like, I know, God. And, and again, I, I had to lay it all back down and just let God have it and say, God, here it is. This is yours. It's not mine. And so I found myself having to go back and hear that message again. We'll never play it safe. And I'm like, why did I have to preach that so hard? Why the hell? Just like, we'll never play it safe. You know, but I was like, we'll never play it safe. And I'm like, okay, God, you know, I got gotcha. you. But we're not. We're not going to play it safe. And, and we have to ask ourselves continually, how far am I willing to go? Are we still willing to lay it all out on the line? Are you willing to go the extra mile so that somebody can find what you found? Maybe for you to go the extra mile, it's actually saying, I want to know Jesus. I've never given my life to him, and I want to know him. I don't want to play this religious game anymore. I want to know who he is. I want to know the, the power of God that comes through Jesus Christ. But once we know him, there's got to be something inside of us that says, I want to take him out there. I want to tell people about him. I want them to know what I found. And that's what God is calling us to do. And, and the thing that, that I want us to look at real quick is you consider how far you're going to go is Romans chapter 12. This is the last scripture we're going to read. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 to you. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen to this very first thing he says. I urge you, brothers, in view of what? In view of God's mercy. See, Paul is taking the mercy of God and he's leveraging it against your life. You ever had to pick up something real heavy so you found a stick or a, 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 some kind of metal bar and you put it under and you picked it up and, and it was, you were able to pick up something much heavier than you were. It was because you had leverage. And what Paul is doing is he is taking the mercy of God and he's using that. He's lifting that up and saying, now compare this to your life. Compare this to your life. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to offer it all? He says, listen, offer your bodies. He's saying not just your flesh. He's saying offer all that you have to God. Give him all of it. It's all a sacrifice to him. 
offered it to him. And so the question is, how far will you go? And see, here's the problem. If we ask this question, how far do I have to go? Then we're already messed up. I remember when I was in youth ministry, I would always have couples come in. And I say couples, like boyfriend and girlfriends who would come in and they were like 15 and they were in love because they've been dating 10 days. And, and so they were all like wrapped up in each other. And, and the, they'd come in and the question that I always got was, you know, how far is too far? Right? How far is too far? How far is too far? And you know, you hear people try to answer that. But here's my thought on that. If you're asking how far is too far, then you've already lost the battle. Because you're not trying to honor God, you're trying to get by. And if we're sitting here and we're asking the question, how far do I have to go? What do I have to do to do the minimum? We've already lost the battle because we're not looking to honor God. We're looking to just get by. And I believe that God is looking for some people, for some Christians, for a church that is willing to go the extra mile. That's willing to say, yeah, we'll do this. We'll take another step. We'll go a little further. We'll, we'll actually begin to live a life so that people want to know what's driving you. What's in you that makes you do this? And that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to begin to offer ourselves as sacrifices. See, here's the awesome thing about Christianity that no other religion in the world offers. Every other religion in the world says, if you make a sacrifice, you can find mercy. Christianity says, you can find mercy, now offer yourself as a sacrifice. That's a huge difference. It don't even come close to anything else because we find mercy. And when we view God's mercy, we leverage God's mercy against our life. There is no comparison. We can get on our face before God. That is not low enough in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is so awesome because he did what we didn't deserve. He took the curse on his life so that we wouldn't have to. That's how good God is. See, so many people live their Christian life. Their Christian existence is based off of this wage mentality. I will do so that I can earn, right? You go to work. Why? Most of us don't go to work. I mean, I do, but most people don't go to work because they love what they do. How many of you just say, well, I just absolutely, I love my job, man. This is what I just wake up every morning. I'm like, hoo hoo. Not many. John, you better raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's not many. Why do people go to work typically? To earn a wage. And for Christians, it's the same way. Typically, we go to work for God because we're still trying to earn a wage, we're still trying to earn God's mercy. And God's like, no, 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 no. That is not how it works. When we become people who operate and live out of gratitude rather than trying to earn what God's already given, how can you earn what's already been given? You can't. It doesn't work that way. And so we got to get to a place where we live out of a spirit of gratitude. We live out of, God, I view what you've done. I see what you've done for me. And man, I want to honor you. I want to honor you in my marriage. I want to honor you in my life. I want to honor you with my money. I want to honor you in every single way that I can because, because your mercy is so, so great. It is so good and so amazing. Um, One time I was, uh, I can't think I was a sophomore in college and I got my first like big boy job um, during the summer. I was working, I think I told you one time I was working with a framing crew. 
Well, man, you know, I was going, I'd be out with friends late at night and I'd come home and not get much sleep. And then I'd go work on the job and the job was only a few, few miles from my house. So at lunchtime, man, I'd come home and just crash. And so, you know, and this is like early 90s. So I got my cut off blue jeans on, you know, and, uh, and my tennis shoes. And, and, um, and so I'm, I'm laying on the couch, no shirt, nothing. I take my tennis shoes off. I'm sitting there. All of a sudden somebody starts banging on our door. Somebody just starts banging on our door. I'm like, what? Well, you know, I was kind of in that half sleep. And so I get up and I go to the door and it's this lady, our next door neighbor, she's going, my house is on fire. My house is on fire. I was like, all right, good. And I shut the door and I went back. No, I didn't do that. I, I was like, okay. And I didn't know what to do. And, and so I jump up and I take off running over to her house. And right by the front door was a fire, I mean, a, a fire hose. Yeah, she keeps a fire hose in here. It was a, it was just a regular hose. And so I was like, well, maybe I can put it out. And so I get it, and I open the door expecting smoke and all this stuff. No smoke. No smoke. I'm like, man, what's up with this? So I'm walking. I kink the hose up because I didn't want to damage her carpet, carpet, even though her house is on fire. And so I go walking through with the hose kinked up, and I'm just walking through. I'm like, this lady's lying. There's no fire in here. And so I walk through the door going into the kitchen, and it was like, it's like a blazing inferno. I was like, whoa. And so I took the hose, and I start spraying it down. And, and you know, I'm spraying, spraying, spraying. And finally, the fire, it went out, right? And, and I was like, that's pretty awesome, man. I just put them out of the lady's house. And so I go walking out, and by this time, the fire department pulls up. And, and so I just come walking out of the house with the hose pipe. And, and they're, like, looking at me like, what's up? And it was so funny because... And it just felt really good to be able to walk out of the house, drop the hose, and be like, I think it's out, guys, and, and just go back. <laughs> it was so funny, man. And, and they just kind of started laughing. And, and, you know, but, but it was cool that I was able to help this lady. But can you imagine what would have happened? Because this is typically what Christians do, right? Is, is somebody comes up to us, and they've got a need. They've got a problem. And they say, this is what's going on. And what do we typically do? I mean, come on, seriously. I so hate to hear that. I'll be praying for you. Well, what I need is some money. No, well, I know that. And I'm going to pray that God would get it to you some way. I, because I, I understand. And, and the funniest thing, we were talking to a lady the other day, and she was telling us about some stuff going on in her life. And we're like, oh, gosh, we understand. She's like, no, you don't. I was like, okay, probably don't then. <laughs> but, but that is truly... The kind of the way we operate is, is, well, we need this. Well, let me tell you, there's a scripture in Malachi 3 that if you'll just start tithing, the Bible says that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Well, they don't have anything to tithe. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, but we keep offering things. Can you imagine when that lady came and knocked on my door and she's like, my house is on fire, my house is on fire. If I was like, well, let's pray about it. God, extinguish that fire. Please extinguish. No, or if I give her a scripture, you know, well, you know, well, God put out such and such a fire. Let's look at the Bible. What she needed was somebody to take some action and do something, right? And so me and my stupor, I think I was still asleep, run over there, puts out the fire. But it wouldn't have done any good. We need to get to be a place, a, a church, a people that, that doesn't just offer some um, cliche or some, some, some typical church response. We need to be a people who are willing to go the extra mile and begin to share the love of Jesus with folks. And it's time for us to step up to the plate and begin to do some things. And I think for us, a lot of it is when we're looking at this and we're deciding, how far will I go? Will I go the extra mile? Am I willing to do this? What am I going to do? 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 We, we need to, be, to have a new mindset. And Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
We need to begin to look at things a little different, not asking how far can I go in this relationship, not asking how far do I have to go when I offer myself to God, but asking, asking with a renewed mind, God, I want to serve you. What is it you need me to do today? What is it you need me to do today? He says, do not be conformed any longer. The word in Greek there for conform means something that's changing all the time. He's saying, listen, you're surrounded by a world that's changing. Don't be conformed by this changing world. But be transformed. That word is metamorpho. I love some of those Greek words, metamorpho. They just sound cool. But metamorpho. And it, what it means is it means to be changed forever. It's used a couple of other times in the Bible, not very many at all. The one time it's used is when it's translated as transfigured. And you remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain and the glory of God shone upon him and so much so that Peter, James, and John wanted to build tents. They couldn't even look and they fell on the ground. That is what God is saying he wants to do through us is he wants to change us. He wants to metamorpho us to a place where we show the glory and the honor of God in our life. And one way that that happens is by us going the extra mile, by us being willing to do the extra thing, by allowing the Spirit of God into our hearts and into our lives to have free reign so that we can be transformed into God's likeness to begin to have another mindset. See, and this is, I'll wrap it up with this. Man, I have finished at 1015 the last two Sundays. That is pretty amazing. Um, God's good. Um, but a few weeks ago, this has probably been maybe two months ago now, a lady in our church, Miss Linda, she does a ministry where she takes dogs around to, um, nursing homes and it ministers to the people. They get to pet the dogs and she gets to pray with them. Well, one time when she's going around through the nursing home, she met a guy named John and John was dying. He had been in hospice. He came back to the nursing home. Um, because he was dying. And Miss Linda happened to walk in. And she did something that I don't know how many people would do. She, she began to share the love of God with this man. And John accepted the Lord. And he gave his heart to Christ. Um, you may remember me telling you about that. And, and that next Sunday, um, myself and a few other guys from the church went and Bo Davidson, um, who many of you know, went and got some water from the Geechee River because he had wanted to be baptized in the river like we do, but he couldn't do it because he couldn't get out of the church or out of the, the nursing home. So he went and got a bottle of water. Well, we took, him, took the water in and we shared with him and we um, baptized him in the nursing home with the river water. And I want to tell you, it was an awesome, awesome time of being able to love on this man and to be there with him as he's making this, this um, transformation of his heart to say, yeah, I want to I wanna be Christ. I want to love him. I want to be a Christian. Well, I believe it was Monday. Um, John went on to be with the Lord. He finally gave up the battle and he died. And that was sad for a lot of us. I know a lot of the guys in our church have spent a lot of time with him. But you know what's awesome? We know where he is. He has been transformed. He has been metamorphosed. He has been taken into the arms of God because of that decision. How awesome is it that the body of Christ, the people of God, get to offer that incredible gift to somebody? And he accepted it. He accepted it. And now his eternity is secure. Did he make a lot of bad decisions? Yes. If you saw the pictures on his wall, it would scare you. 
But now he has spent an eternity with Christ because he emptied himself. Christ emptied himself and he died on the cross so that we could spend eternity with him, that we could be forgiven of all the things that we have done. Uh, the contrast of that, I got another friend. He had uh, gotten sober, gotten off drugs, relapsed. We uh, began to just love on him. We'd text him, call him, say, we love you, we're here for you, if we can help you. Made a phone call over to the foundry in Alabama, which is a ministry we got to know pretty well. I talked to the senior program coordinator over there, and I said, is there any way we could get him in your program? Is there any way we could get him in your program? And he's like, man, we are backed up till November. We got a waiting list that is, is until November. We can't, we don't have a spot. And he paused a second, and he says, but I tell you what, we'll make a, we'll make a place for him. We'll, we'll clear out a place. We will make a place for him. I got goosebumps, man. The hair was standing up on my head. I'm like, this is God. This is God. And so I get my phone, and, and, and as soon as I hang up with him, I, I called my buddy, and I said, hey, man, you're not going to believe this, but here's the opportunity. You know what he did? I ain't going to Alabama. I ain't going. And I was like, What? You're not going? Do you realize the door that God has offered you? That he has opened for you? And you're not going? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you two days. I'm not calling him back and telling him no for two days. You let me know what you want to do. Well, in two days, instead of him calling me back and telling me that he was willing to go to the foundry, I got a voicemail that said he was in jail and locked up for drugs and that broke my heart because here a guy is God is doing everything he can to call him to him God's doing everything he can opening doors but he won't accept it he won't accept it now how many of you would say that that is unbelievable that this guy has this opportunity and he turns it down is that not unbelievable opportunity to get help and he turns it down opportunity to find healing and he turns it down i was sitting in my office after i got the phone and kind of just slouching down in my chair i'm like that is unbelievable and then it's just like god spoke to my heart and he said why is it so unbelievable to you when everybody else is doing the same thing i've reached out my hand to you i've offered you healing i've offered you wholeness and now here you are and you won't take it and what i began to see again is i'm not that much difference different than that guy so many times. God reaches out his hand and I won't take it. The opportunity to change and be healed and be made whole and I won't take it. So my challenge to you today is, what are you going to do? Will you accept the hand of God that has been extended to you, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit that only comes through Jesus Christ, or are you going to turn your back and stay in prison for the rest of your life, bound to the bondage of your sin that leads to death? That's your opportunity. What are you going to do today? Because God's calling us to go the extra mile. We need to have a heart change, church. I do too. It's time for us to evaluate. What are our motives? Why are we here? And make a decision about what we're going to do. For some of you, that's showing up next Sunday at 8.30 and saying, yeah, I'll go do this. It might be crazy. There's going to be people who say, well, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. I would love to have that conversation with them. 
because that is such a crappy excuse for not sharing the love of God. Let's pray.